Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio, our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. Welcome to Rivet Radio. I'm Edward Hertzman, the president of Sourcing Journal and Rivet. Today, we're speaking with Jason Denham, the founder of Denham the Gene Maker, the Amsterdam-based denim brand. Jason, thank you for speaking with us today. Hi, Edward. Nice to nice to connect with you. Good to talk to you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Obviously, wish it was uh, under better circumstances that we were all speaking today, but um, just want to let you know, huge fan of the brand. A little upset that uh, Kingpins is is canceled this season because I, I look forward to my April shopping uh, at your stores that I definitely need to uh, re-up on a few, a few of my uh, essential pairs. So uh, I'm looking forward to my next next uh, trip to Amsterdam. Yeah, looking forward to the next visit. It's a real shame that Kingpins was canceled, but good to hear that they're working on a digital version. Absolutely. Uh, uh, let's see how that goes. Yeah, we're going to we're going to definitely try to help them get the get the word out to the industry. Um, you know, this is a time where we all have to come together and support each other. So anything that that Rivet can do to help still connect the the brands and and the the factories together, um, we are we are going to do during this, uh, you know, unprecedented times. Let's talk a little bit about the brand. Uh, Denham is known for contemporary fits, unique washes, and premium fabrics. I'm curious to know how you start your design process. You know, what is what influences you? Okay, so I think um, you know it's 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 obvious for everybody, but the denim his the denim industry has. Uh, an incredible, incredible heritage and history, and of course, we we dive into that as a brand. Um, I'm a big fan and a big collector of vintage denim, but I'm also a big fan of collecting archive vintage stuff in general. So um, I spend a lot of time traveling. Of course, in these times now, uh, that's challenging. But I spend a lot of time in in Japan. Um, and I do a lot of my research in Japan where there's incredible vintage stores full of great stuff. Um, and I do a lot of work with great replica wear patterns and this kind of stuff and, and work hard to replicate and do those kind of things. So I think the key thing as a brand is, is of course, you know, we have this design mantra where we say we worship tradition, but we destroy convention. So I love to look at the past and I love to see what was there, but I love to create new things and work with that. Um, and we have a great garment library of stuff, a great archive. That's certainly the source, but we always work hard to try and create new things from that. Question for you. You have some rather expensive pieces in your collection. Is this a viable business or are these garments more for cachet, you know, for show? Yeah, so I think uh, for sure we, we are a premium brand and we want to have cachet pieces. That's that's an important part of our brand story. And that's not just for having or for show, but it is really for business. So, um, of course, the expensive pieces that you're talking about um, are the kind of the, the made in Japan pieces. So made in Japan denim is a huge part of our business and a huge part of our brand. Uh, Japan is the biggest market we have in the world. Um, and we're a firm believer in supporting the local market. Of course, we're shipping the Japanese denim to other markets in the world as well. But we really kind of work carefully on our social, on our on our carbon footprints. 
and the way that we're working. So the majority of the denim that we make in Japan stays in Japan. Of course, when you come to Amsterdam and you come to our stores and you see our flagship store here, of course, we have a selection of those pieces here. Uh, but the bulk of the stuff stays there. And the Japanese have incredible high-level taste in, in denim. You know it, and they get it, and they, they understand quality, and they appreciate paying for it uh, because they understand what it is. And these aren't prices that we make up. These are These are the real prices of what this stuff costs. Um, I spend a lot of time myself working in the laundries and the factories and working with the mills and spending a lot of time in Japan, which which for me is a real important part of our brand. Oh, I'm blown away by the intricacy and the amount of detail uh, on some of these pieces. Most of these, and correct me if I'm wrong, are actually done by hand. Yeah, of course. I mean, the workmanship that goes into this is crazy. Um, I think the Japanese... Craftsmen are some of the best denim artisan workers in the world. They're incredible. You know, of course, we we work across the globe in different sources. The bulk of our stuff is done uh, through the Italians or through the Japanese. And we and we love the innovation that comes out of Italy. And we love the, you know, the way that the Italians are pushing things forward. But I think the Japanese have an incredible touch and sense of detail and and they can really make the past even better than it was and do it so well so it's uh it's it's always exciting for me to work with these guys i think for those that that understand the denim business they they do not look at this as as a five pocket gene this is this is more of a piece of art than it is just uh than a, than, a, than you know a, a piece a piece of their wardrobe if you will so I I, to, I totally get it. I, I totally I think the stuff you're doing is fantastic, um, and I could certainly see that resonating um, in the Japanese market more so than anywhere else in in the world. Um, speaking of of uh, geography, why has Amsterdam been a good home turf for for developing your brand? Um, and how did your stores in the city of Nine Streets come about? I mean, for those that have not been there. You actually have a few stores all on the same block. And so could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So firstly, Amsterdam is an incredible denim capital. I I moved to Amsterdam more than 20, 20 years ago. I'm an English guy. I was living in London. Uh, I came to Amsterdam and I thought, okay, nice little village. I'll give it six months and then I'll move back to London. But I thought I'd come and try the place out. Uh, but honestly, I fell in love with Amsterdam. It's a super cool city. It's got everything going on. Uh, of course, it's tiny, but it's got great content within it. Um, it's a very international place. But one of the things I learned very quickly is what an incredible denim city it is. Really, uh, denim is a big thing here. People, people do breakfast, lunch, and dinner in denim. Um, it's a real part of the culture, which was the first thing that made me stick to Amsterdam. And then I set up my I set up this brand here 12 years ago. Um, before I made the denim brand, which is my family name, I made a brand called Blue Blood. And Blue Blood was a real diehard denim, premium, beautiful thing. Um, and that was something that really taught me that Amsterdam is a great location. So when I built the brand here, I wanted to give it a home. Um, and the nine streets at that time, I started the brand in 2008. Uh, which a lot of people said to me is not a great time to start a brand uh, with the crash and what was going on. And, and, and here we are 12 years later in similar kind of times. But I think these times give great opportunities. And, and I think 
I think strong concepts and strong brands and a clear vision can win in these times. And that was certainly something that we did back then and certainly something that we're working towards doing right now. Um, but if you, if you look at where we were in 2008, we wanted to build a home for the brand. So building the home for the brand was the first home was on the nine streets here in Amsterdam. Um, and it's a great for people who haven't been here. It's just a great area that's full of galleries and coffee shops and bars and restaurants, but cool stuff. And, 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 and what I wanted to do was build a cluster of stores to tell a story about the brand. So that's how we put it together. So outside of Amsterdam, what, what is your biggest market? So, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, the biggest market is Japan. We have, uh, we have 30 stores in Japan, uh, 30 of our own stores, which is doing an incredible business. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Japan. I think the, the culture and the lifestyle and the passion for product and design and everything is outstanding. Um, and we've really built an incredible fan base there, but an incredible team. Um, and, and the Japanese market, I think, has huge potential for us for the future as well. Outside of some of your brick and mortar stores that you own and operate, you know, how much of, of your business is direct to consumer versus wholesale? So our direct to consumer business is probably around 60, 65% of our business. Uh, wholesale is a, is a big part of the business here in Europe, um, just by the nature of the business here. So the German business is very much a wholesale orientated business. Also, here in the Netherlands, we have 200 wholesale customers. Um, so we have a very strong wholesale business. We have 11 of our own stores here in the Netherlands. However, in Japan, 90% of the business is really focused on, on retail and e-com business. So uh, we try and respect each market in the right way and, and, and follow the model that suits that kind of market. So, uh, Jason, I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with Candiani. Candiani is obviously uh, one of the world's most admired um, uh, mills uh, out of Italy. Uh, so recently you teamed up with Candiani to, to, um, to launch the mill's new biodegradable stretch denim, Cariva Stretch Technology. Can you tell us a little bit how you, how you got involved in this project? Sure. So, uh, Candiani, I agree with you. It's an incredible mill. Uh, I've been working with the, the Candiani family for many, many, many years. Uh, I'm a huge fan of these guys. I think they really, really... Uh, it, it's a family business, it's Italian passion, it's innovation. Um, I think they're way, way ahead of, of many of their competitors for many reasons. They've got an incredible history, but I think they really have a big, big passion for the future. You know, it's, it's, it says everything about Italian design. Um, so I kind of partnered with these guys very much from a European standpoint in terms of the production that we're making and putting together in, in this part of the world. Um, the way that our business is set up, we try and control our carbon footprints. A lot of the Japanese stuff stays there. We also make in China for the China market. We're also making, of course, in Europe, and a lot of the Candiani stuff is staying over here in Europe. Um, but what we do with these guys is we've, we continuously R&D together. So, so for many, many years, we've been working on, on, on concepts of, of course, sustainability, 
but but working on many different things about innovation, about casts, about colors, about blends, about performance. Um, and that's that's a big, big thing for us. And and innovation with these guys and partnering and working with these guys, I've done for probably 20 years already. Um, but regarding this project, which is super exciting, so of course, stretch denim is is the bulk of the business in the world today. Um, but it's crazy to think that stretch denim has never really had a, a fully biodegradable product by nature of the yarn in the stretch in the weft not being a compostable kind of product. So we got together and we said, okay, let's work on something that can do this. And and the Candiani guys have put together great recipes and technology and an incredible energy into, into really believing and getting behind this product. Uh, we launched the product. We actually did a big launch in Japan because the Japanese guys were really excited to get behind this. Um, and it's had a fantastic start. The goods sold out very quickly. Uh, we were very happy that the consumer understands what we're trying to do here. Uh, and of course, it's a great message and a great product for the future. So when, is, when, when will people be able to start buying that product? It's already been launched. So we, we launched it. We actually launched this story in, um, in November in Tokyo. We opened a new store in Shibuya in Tokyo in November last year. Uh, we launched the product. It sold out very quickly. It did very, very well. Um, but of course, this is an ongoing running product. Uh, so there will be more of this stuff dropping in June, July this year. Uh, of course, now we have some issues. The Candiani factory, unfortunately, uh, was instructed by the government to close today. Uh, so every non-essential factory in Italy has been closed today. Of course, with the you've seen the scale and the size of the the coronavirus issue in Italy, which is a huge, huge problem. Um, but as soon as things are back on track there, then then we'll certainly keep this thing moving. Well, let's pivot a little bit. Um, obviously, I know Candiani has, is 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 very uh, focused on their sustainable initiatives. Um, how does Denham approach sustainability? I love this word, but I I just find it crazy that it's become a trend, and it and it kind of frustrates me a little bit. So it's something that we've always done, and it's something that we've always done in everything that we do. When when I started this brand twelve years ago, I told the world that a that a jean was the most sustainable product that you can buy, and people laughed at me because they were like, "No, jeans are bad," and they're bad for the environment. And I was like, look, if you look at a jean and if you look at the high quality and how you wear it and how serious denim guys don't wash their jeans and don't waste water, um, how in our stores we've always offered a service where we say we will service your jeans for life. And of course, in denim, we work with the most sustainable materials like Candiani or, or incredible Japanese uh, sustainable fabrics. So, so of course, it's super important. And I love that, it's, um, I love that the world has woken up to it. Um, we've always worked very, very carefully with our supply chain on, on where and how we produce it. I loved your post on Rivet Instagram a couple of days ago when you were talking and highlighting the price of the jeans finally being realized. I think our industry suffered in the last decade where people have cut the price so far that people didn't appreciate what goes into it. And I think a lot of the guys struggled on sustainability with that. Um, that's not something we've done. We've always charged a premium price for 
for a very sustainable premium product. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, reading the press releases and, and speaking to the brands and the factories every day, the word sustainability has has definitely become, you know, a buzzword, if you will. You know, I'm much more focused on the traceability and the transparency. I like when a brand can 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 trace back uh, to their to their to the fabric or even to the farm. You know, if do they do they know their partners? Do they know who they're working with? Um, are they taking responsibility for the entire supply chain? Uh, it's not cause marketing. It's not. It's it's not. You know, some greenwashing um, initiative. And I think that you know we're seeing it all over the place. People think it's it's a way into the market. Um, it needs to be a DNA. It needs to be part of your ethos. It's it's how you. It's, it's 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 if it's not part of your beliefs. If you're chasing profit and price, which still the large majority of this industry is after, and I'm concerned is going to become even more of a concern as we as we get out of COVID. Um, I'm very curious to see how, you know, sustainability, um, how those initiatives, you know, carry on. Are people going to forget about them? Are people going to, are they just going to try to be in survival mode and forget about all the pledges, uh, to, you know, to their workers and to the earth they made? I think it's, it's unprecedented times, but I'm very curious to see how, what sustainability's role is going to be moving forward after all of this. Yeah, no, I, I share your opinion. I, I truly believe that in these times, the strong brands, will survive and they will come out and they will, you know, they will hold their position and they will do what we do. I think for sure there's going to be a lot of product dumped in the market in the coming months because people will go on sale and they will clear stuff and and that's going to create a big mess, I'm sure of it. But I think honestly what's important and and I think the industry needs to innovate and it needs to move forward. Sustainability is all of our responsibility and we have to do this. And the greenwash, the greenwashing bullshit needs to go away. I think everybody needs to focus on, on making great products and doing things right. And, and you know, I think, I think the denim industry has fallen behind in recent years. And I think the strong brands that come out of this will, will, will of course, do the responsible thing. But I think they need to innovate and bring fresh ideas and, and bring some new and exciting products into the marketplace. I, I 100% agree with you. Um, I, you know, I don't want to, to spend too much time on this, but I think it's you really can't have a conversation today without addressing the coronavirus. Um, you know, obviously, you can't turn on the news and, and avoid it. So how is COVID um, impacting your manufacturing and, and has it really made you take a closer look at any of your parts of your supply chain, you know, where you manufacture or any of your supply chain partners? Yeah, so it's made a huge impact on our business. I, I think anyone, anyone in this world or in this industry that isn't impacted from this, uh, I would find that amazing because it's affecting everyone in everything they do. Um, but in January, we closed our office in China and we closed all of our stores in China. We have 19 stores in China. Then in February, we closed all of our stores in Japan and we closed our head office in Japan. And now in March, we've just closed our headquarters and all of our stores here in the Netherlands. So so from a from a communication and brand point of view, we've really had to adapt quickly and change how we work. Of course... Everyone in the team has been incredible and it gives us great comfort that 
people have transformed to working remotely. We're working through all kinds of channels like Zoom and and uh, Microsoft Team and and FaceTime and WhatsApp and WeChat and so the communication channels are still there. Um, but of course, the supply chain has been affected. Of course, so. First of all, China shut down, and that was a problem. Um, but it gives us some kind of comfort now that China is up and running again. Um, in Japan, the factories shut down in February, but now they're all up and running again. So we feel like there's a wave that's going through. It first of all got Asia. It's big time now in Europe. Candiani, uh, our biggest mill, and uh, Eletti Martelli, the fantastic laundry and sewing platform, shut down this week. Um, so, of course, that's a problem. We see the wave that will continue, and it's now really starting to peak in the UK and the US. Um, so, of course, there's definitely an impact. But going back to your question about has it made us rethink um, our supplier base, then the answer is absolutely no. I think it's really important in these times that we have to support um, and, and work with our partners um, we've had great conversations and great meetings with all of our vendors since this episode started in January. Um, and it's been great that a lot of our factories have said, look, there's going to be problems. Do we need to shrink the orders? Do we need to change the buying plans? And, 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 and what I, what I think has been great is that everybody is huddled and we've all come together and we said, okay, let's, let's find solutions for the long term on how we can solve this. Everybody appreciates there's some pain in this. Um, but I think partnering now is more important than ever. You know, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's heartbreaking to see the amount of emails so many factories are getting every single day with just cancellations left and right without any regard for the workers, for the well-being of, of the factories. I mean, to your point, you obviously, yes, you have to stay liquid. Obviously, you have to think about the health of your business. One of the first things to do is to reduce inventory. But I think how you treat each other during these times is a reflection of, of who you are and, and how you operate your business, and it won't be forgotten. And uh, it's interesting. I'm actually working on an article I very rarely write, but I, I think the premise of it is I think a lot of people are not aware that they're actually destroying their, their, very, their, their factory partners without knowing. Uh, and when, they, when we wake up, you know, whether it's 90 days or six months from now, a lot of the, the, the factories that we just take for granted that we go to place our orders with every single day may not be here if we continue to act in a, in a, selfish, in a selfish way. Absolutely. No, I fully agree with you. I think, I think for sure this is a time of reflection. And I think, I think it's very important for every business to think about what they're doing and how they're doing it and why they're doing it. Um, it sounds ridiculous, but I do think the world will come out of this a better place. Um, but I do think we have to reflect on what's happened and we have to support the people that have supported us and 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 keep things moving in a good way. So let, let's see how that goes. And, and, and like you say, it could be months, it could be a long time, but let's see. So let's, let's, let's have one last question. Let's try to move this to a more positive tone. You know, what's, what's next for, for, for Jason? and for, uh, for Denham and, uh, what should we be looking forward to when things get a little bit more positive and, and the world gets back to, you know, normal may, may be an unusual word to use right now, but back to normal. Yeah. So it's, it, 2020 is a really exciting year for us. And we, we have a bunch of, of great, exciting projects. We know that the way consumers, 
uh, are thinking now is not necessarily by season, but they're definitely thinking about uh, fresh products and they're thinking about limited products and special edition products. Um, so we've been collaborating and working with some real cool, exciting brands and, and things that are outside of the denim world as well. Um, and we've got a bunch of things that we're about to launch uh, in the second half of this year. So that's really exciting for us. There's some names I can't mention just yet um, because we want to keep things exciting for the moment when they come out. Uh, but when they do, then for sure I will come to Rivet and you guys will get the story uh, on time and ahead of the rest. Um, but there's a bunch of really cool things coming. And, and aside from doing a bunch of cool collaborations, uh, of course, the key thing and the big thing that's at the heart of what we're doing is is the real emphasis on our denim. So we see a big resurgence in denim and we see that denim is really uh, is coming back in a good way. We, we, we have great time with the authenticity of what's coming out of Japan. And we really believe in, in we think that authentic brands have a, have a great time right now. You know, I think that's, that's something that we're focusing on as a brand, but we're also pushing the innovation side of our brand. So we recently launched this whole product called Free Move. Of course, Free Move is about high performance, recovery, uh, stretch, comfort, this kind of thing. And, and that's really performing incredibly well for us. So we're very much about authenticity and innovation. And you'll see a lot on that in the, in the coming months ahead. Well, I look forward to seeing that. And I also look forward to visiting your shop. I, I desperately need a pair of your uh, razor slim fit jeans in black. Uh, um, I was hoping to pick up a couple pairs in April. I do my biannual stock uh, stock up in uh, for during the King Piss show. So if I don't, if we're if I can't make it to Amsterdam soon, I'm going to have to go online. And uh, I've never been a big online shopper. I know that surprises everybody. I, I I still love going into the store and trying it on and in, interacting with the staff. You have you have a a great team of uh, of people on Nine Streets that really are, you know, help me pick out my my wardrobe every year. So I, I look forward to that. But um, so I, I may have to actually break my streak and start buying things online if this continues. But um, you know, Jason, I I really appreciate your time. I personally, as a fan of the brand, um, appreciate what you do. Uh, really enjoy the product. Hopefully, we could have you back on on the on the radio. Um, when things are a little bit more positive and we can talk about some more of your initiatives and some more of the exciting things you're working on. Um, of course, we always appreciate your support of Rivet and everything that you do. So um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for your time. And, and hopefully I, um, I'll, see you, uh, I'll see you on your home turf very soon. Great. Now, I'm looking forward to catch up and uh, I look forward to speak to you again soon. All right, Jason. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.